Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would be with us. Give us ears that we might hear you speaking to us, and eyes that might see new things, and hearts and lives that can still be changed. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. In the book called Talking to Strangers, Malcolm Gladwell writes, Cortez landed in Mexico in February of 1519 and slowly made his way inland, advancing on the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan. And Tenochtitlan was like nothing they had ever seen before, a city on an island with bridges, canals, aqueducts, and grand boulevards marketplaces, temples, gardens, even a zoo. And it was spotlessly clean, unlike medieval European cities of the day. It would have been miraculous. It would have been like walking into a dream. And then they meet Montezuma, a person of surreal grandeur carried on a litter embroidered with gold and silver and festooned with flowers and precious stones. And let's remember and recognize no European has ever set foot in Mexico and no Aztec has ever met a European. When they first meet and try and communicate, they discover that Cortez speaks Spanish and Montezuma speaks the Aztec language Nahuatl. So Cortez had to speak Spanish to a Spanish priest who he found who speaks Spanish and Mayan. They also had come across an Indian woman who spoke Mayan and Nahuatl. So Cortez meets Montezuma and asks, Art thou not he? And the priest translates the Spanish into Mayan. The woman translates the Mayan into Nahuatl. And Montezuma finally hears the question and responds, yes, I am he. Which then gets translated back into Mayan and then back into Spanish and back to Cortez. There's no way that this could go wrong. (laughs) To make matters even more tricky, the way that the Aztecs spoke was subtle and what's called reverential. In other words, Montezuma doesn't need to say he's great. That's actually pretty obvious when you look around. And so instead, he might say he's small and weak, which only would draw more attention to his wealth and his power and his esteem. And if he were to refer to Cortez as a god, culturally, he may have been saying something much, much different, almost the opposite. Only the problem is, Cortez isn't versed in these differences. And it doesn't help that there are two translators and three languages separating these two. So Cortez hears Montezuma claiming to be weak and telling him he's a god. And so he concludes that clearly Montezuma is just giving Cortez everything he sees. Cortez, who couldn't hear the nuance, would have heard Montezuma surrendering, whereas more likely Montezuma was accepting Cortez's surrender. And we're not surprised 
when disaster ensues. But the story kind of begs the question for us, why are we so bad at understanding the other? Are there times when we think we are saying one thing only to have the other person hear something completely different? Are there times when we hear one thing only to find out that's not what they meant? How do we get across any message, especially if the person we're trying to get a message across to is a stranger? What do we do about all this? More importantly, if this is the case, how do we as Christians share the gospel? How do we live out our faith in a way that changes people? How do we serve and do missions if we aren't even communicating very well? Well, it turns out, unsurprisingly, that God has a plan, but we'll come to that. First, let me remind us where we are and where we're heading. Last week, we began kind of the final part of our fall series, looking at strangers. And in this final part, we're kind of zooming out a little bit as we try and understand how everything we've been learning about strangers applies to us more broadly as Christians and as a church. Because it's one thing to just be kind to and welcoming of the stranger, But all of this takes on new and higher purposes as we connect this to what God is trying to do in us and then in our world through us. Because, of course, God may be doing something bigger than we expect when He calls us to love the stranger. And so, in this new and final part, we are trying to figure out the relationship between us and strangers in light of God giving us a better household a better homeland today, and next week a better kingdom. And so, like last week, let me just briefly begin in Hebrews 13, just to reset the stage, just for a moment. This is Hebrews 13, 2, and it says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Uh, I wonder, how would this change our perspective? I wonder, how would this change our world if we viewed and treated the stranger like this? What if we first saw strangers as potential angels instead of potential problems? That's not to say that they won't become a problem, but what if that, because that's the opposite of how I see a stranger. When I see a stranger, my first instinct is problem, not angel. But what if that flipped? What if you could first see a stranger as a potential angel and not a potential problem? What, What if we could lead with hospitality instead of worrying first about the potential issues and threats? What if we could first love instead of first waiting for them to make the first move? In other words, what would happen and how would we be changed if we became a people of hospitality? 
And remember, we talked about this last week, that word hospitality in the Greek, philozenia, comes from the roots philio, brotherly, sisterly love, and xenos, stranger. So hospitality is literally love for, care for the stranger. But if we could do this, we would create something new, we would build a new kind of community, we would transform and expand our world. So as we think about all of this, as we think about showing love to the stranger, because we've been the stranger, let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. While you're turning there, I'll simply remind you that Hebrews 11 is kind of known as the, the hall of fame of faith. The author is going to work through some of the heroes of the faith as they detail out how they lived by faith. And we're going to start in verse 8 with Abraham and Sarah. But listen for the language and the imagery of the stranger as I read. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he had leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses, his parents, hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. 
because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Amen. The world was not worthy of them. Longing for a better country, a heavenly one. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger. So good. Uh, frankly, all of those phrases are worth going into a bit more deeply, and that's kind of where we're going. But first, let me make sure we just understand the, the nature of this passage. Uh, and it begins, of course, by faith. Because there's a rhythm all throughout this chapter, even in the seven verses before we started reading this morning. Uh, by faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Moses. By faith, Rahab. And on and on. In fact, this chapter begins, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confident in hope, assured of what we do not see. And so all of these heroes of the faith were living out and trusting in hope, in something they could not yet see, and yet by faith they knew it to be true, and they lived it into reality. By faith, Abraham was called to leave his home and go somewhere new, which innately means he was being called to go and become a stranger. And amazingly, he did, he went, he obeyed. He went to become a stranger, and as he did, he cared for the place he was in, and yet he knew this wasn't his true homeland. And so he was there, but, but he also wasn't. He belonged, but he also 
didn't belong. He, he was in the place, but he wasn't of the place. Because he was always looking forward to a different city. Always looking forward to a different homeland. Always longing for a heavenly country. Because he knew by faith that there was something better coming. Then we come to Moses. Chose exile instead of being corrupted by the culture and splendor and temptations of the palace. And the reason he could do this was because he valued something more. He, he saw something better. The invisible promises of God. Somehow he could see that, and that allowed him to choose not comfort, not the palace, not Egypt. So he could live in this world, and yet somehow also stayed separate from it. And then our passage goes on to all the rest who were faithful where they were, and yet also who were strangers while they were there. Feet on the ground here, eyes locked on something better. And our author concludes the world was not worthy of them. Which makes me wonder, in our lives, which world do we work to be worthy of? I'll ask that again. Which world do we work to be worthy of? In other words, they were longing for and living as citizens of a different world, a heavenly world, all the while while they were living right here in our world just like us. And in doing so, this world wasn't worthy of them. But therefore, it's worth asking, do we live like they do? Because it strikes me, I spend most of my time and most of my work and most of my effort and most of my stress and most of my everything else trying to live worthy of this world instead of trying to live worthy of a better one, which ironically is my actual homeland. I mean, if I'm, I'm being honest, it seems like I work more on being at home here than I do trying to be at home in heaven. I work harder at trying to be worthy here than worthy there. And that's, that's not to say we shouldn't live well here, because as we've been talking about all year long, we've been sent here. And therefore, I'm supposed to care about what happens here also. I'm supposed to live well. I'm supposed to do my job well. I'm supposed to love and care for people well here, but not for here. I'm supposed to live well here because I'm of there. I'm supposed to live well here because I've been sent from there to here. I'm supposed to live well here without forgetting to be worthy of there, without longing for the other place. 
In other words, this world is not our home. And therefore, we are supposed to be a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit dissatisfied, a bit at ease, ill at ease, here. Because we're not actually from here. Because we're looking for something more. Because we're longing for something better. In other words, and it was kind of like our confession earlier, the goal isn't to win here. It's to win there. And frankly, the good news is that Jesus already did that part. He already won for us, and that's a different story entirely. But it's because of that that we are supposed to operate in and move through this world differently. We're supposed to use different metrics and measures as we evaluate our lives here. We're supposed to pursue different goals in different ways for different reasons. Because we are of heaven, not here. That's our actual homeland. That's where we find our worth and our value and our identity. That's the lens through which we learn to see everything and everyone else in this world. And so we long for that world. But as we do so, we also recognize that this means that we are to live as strangers here. If our homeland is in heaven, then we are foreigners while we are here. And again, that's not to say that we don't work to make this place better, but it is to say that we also know it will never be enough because it needs the fundamental change that only Jesus can bring. But that's also why we're here, to do that work, to help with Jesus, to partner and be alongside what Jesus is at work doing. In fact, in the book of Corinthians, Paul goes so far as to call us ambassadors. It's in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassador as though God were making His appeal through us. And of course, to be an ambassador, you have to have your home somewhere else. You can't be local and be an ambassador at the same time. That doesn't make any, Then you're just a guy. Then you're just standing there. To be an ambassador, you have to be from somewhere else and yet be here now. You have to do your work representing there while you're here. You're living here, but you're also very, very much a stranger here as well. And your goal is to be worthy of home, not the place where you're stationed. That being said, we choose to be strangers so that we can bring a little bit of our homeland here. So that we can begin the work of change here. So that we can point people towards home. And truth be told, it's our homeland that shapes who we are and how we live. Because we're living for there while we're here. What's more, we've been sent here. Actually, if you've been with us for a little more than a year now, you may be starting to hear echoes of where we've been all year long. In fact, if you can remember all the way back to, to last Advent and Christmas, 
which I only know because I, 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 I'm prepping for Advent right now, so I had to go back and see where we were. But if you can remember all the way back to Advent, we spent a lot of time talking about the miracle of Christmas, which isn't the baby born in Jesus, but it's the incarnation. It's that God came to us in the flesh, fully God, fully human. God wasn't just pretending to be one of us. He wasn't just dressing like one of us. And He didn't give up His godness either. But instead, somehow He stayed fully God and became fully human at the same time. Which means that God, that God had to humble Himself, lower Himself, constrain Himself so that He could become one of us. And He did. God chose to become a stranger so that He could be with us. And then He told us to go. He sent us to live missionally, to be an incarnational people, to live as apostles, as sent ones. Or to put it back in the words of this series we're currently in, He sent us to be strangers here so that this world could catch a glimpse of that one through us, so that we could work toward His kingdom come, so that we would be the kind of people who love even the strangers because we know what it's like to be a stranger. But the choice remains ours. Do we choose to live incarnationally in the flesh? Do we choose to live worthy of our homeland? Do we choose to live as strangers so that we might show God's love to God's world? Frankly, maybe that's God's plan all along, that we might be a people of faith in the midst of a world full of hurt and pain and loneliness, that, that we might be a people of hope in the midst of a world full of doubt and confusion and fear, that we might be a people of love in the midst of a world full of anger and sadness and hate. And in so doing, in living this other way, we might represent and even help bring a new kingdom. God's kingdom come. But it takes faith. It takes faith to live as if we're citizens of a different world, to trust that living differently matters, to know that it actually makes a difference. It takes faith to choose to be willing to be a little strange, to be estranged as we live as strangers here and do the work of reaching out anyway. It takes faith to love the stranger. And yet we know what it's like to be the stranger. But we love the stranger because we know that we've been sent. Let's pray.
Lord God, we remember even today that this world is not our home, but that we are secure in you in heaven. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would help us remember our true address, our true homeland, that we would be citizens of heaven first, and that that would reshape everything, that we would recognize we are ambassadors here, that you sent us to be strangers here so that people might recognize you in their midst, miraculously through us. But we need your help, Lord, because that's a lot of faith. And sometimes we are people of little faith. And so, Lord God, help us remember what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that you sent him to become one of us, that we might be changed, and so that we might be able to be a people who are sent as well. Lord, help us long for a better country. Help us fix our eyes on a better place as we live as strangers here doing your work in your world. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.